Hello, this is Christy Kendall with the Align Yourself to Success podcast. And around here, our passion and purpose is to empower entrepreneurs to extraordinary profit through highest level transformation. When you begin with your mind and alignment, you are limitless and you are powerful. We have a special guest with us today, Teresa Linder. She is an emotions mentor coach, and she is going to teach us all about emotional intelligence. So welcome. Thanks so much for having me on, Christy. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So share with us a little bit about your journey before we get started. How did you become an emotions mentor? I think like most people in the, um, in the healing world, especially if it's natural healing and emotional healing and mental healing, we all have a story. We all have something that drove us to, uh, drove us to our knees to figure out who we were and what it was that we had to offer the world. And for me, it was some childhood sexual trauma. And then I grew up and got married and thought I was going to be a fabulous mom. Um, and it turns out it was really hard to be a mom with this story that ran underneath me, this story of it was my job to make everybody happy. And it was my job to please everybody. Um, and I didn't realize that's what was going on. And I found myself with three babies under 18 months. So I had my first son and then 18 months later, we had twin boys. So I had three little boys under 18 months. My husband was traveling to Japan and he would be in Japan two weeks and home two weeks. And of that two weeks, the first week was re-entry for him, right? So I would just barely get us back into a routine. And then my husband would come home and completely dump over the apple cart and everything would fall apart. And he was jet lagged. And then we'd have a really amazing week and then he would turn around and leave again. And I found myself unable to cope as I think most normal people would, but I knew that there was something else um, underneath. And so I started working with uh, my trainer who is an emotions mentor. She has a degree in psychology, um, but she's also works with a lot of some, some of the pop psychology, but she weaves in the mental health piece of it. And it transformed my life. It gave me a place to release unhealthy stories and replace them with the gifts that I'd received. And so when she started her emotions mentor coaching program, she called me and asked me if I would join in kind of in the pilot program. And I've been doing it ever since, which has been about, I want to say that was 2018. So I've been doing that for four years now. It's 2016. Sorry. So I've been doing it for six years and uh, my first exposure really to it was through the pro emotional process. And I'll talk you through that a little bit and tell you what that looks like um, and tell you how I do that. And then I, of course, learned how to use that on my own children and on my husband. But more than that, it was personal discovery for me. It was figuring out who I was and what my gifts were and what I had to offer the world. And it has led me just down tremendous paths. And I'll tell you more about that as we go along, but it's been so life altering for me that I can't help but share it. And so that's what I do. I share this with other people now and my kids are all grown and we did survive. And they say I was a good mom, even though I felt like a crappy one. And so I think, you know, on the other side of the story, there's some really cool growing moments. So I'm excited to be here and share with you what I have learned and uh, hopefully pique your interest a little. Yeah, we're excited to learn all about emotional intelligence. It's a topic that hasn't been discussed on this podcast yet, and it's definitely a topic most of us are passionate about. So we're excited to hear all about that. But 
I'm going to pick a card. And these are the, the question cards. So the question for you today is what attracts you to people? Ooh, that's such a good question. Um, I am a people person by nature. I am the youngest of six children. And so I am very easily drawn to people um, and choose to embarrass my children often in public because I make friends in the grocery store line or when I'm standing in line at the airport. As a matter of fact, I just had a friend who came and visited two days ago and I met her on an airplane and um, she came with her husband. They're traveling across country and she made it a point to stop in our little tiny town and stay with us. And so what I look for in people, I think is I have tended to in my life attract broken people. Um, usually broken people are attracted to light and I am energy and I am light. And so I tend to attract those type of people. But if you're asking me who I look for in people, I look for people who are kind, people who understand the power of serving each other, but still are capable of setting boundaries. Um, I look for people who are positive. One of my top strengths is positivity. And I really just don't abide very well in negative space. It just kind of sucks the life out of me for lack of a better term. And so I look for people who look for the good in everything. I believe there is good in all things, even trauma. And I know that sounds really shallow, but I've been through some trauma in my life. And I do believe there is good that came from that. And I think it all depends on how you look at it. So those are the people that I want in my circle. Those are the people I attract and the people that I want to spend time with. Um, and usually those people have been through some stuff. And I think that's what's allowed them to grow and become positive people. I think I've probably been positive most of my life, even under you know icky circumstances. But I grew up in a really loving home and a very affectionate home and a very kind and serving home. And so that feels natural to me when I look for other people like that. I love that. And people like me look for people like you because you're extroverted and you're joyful and you do all the socializing for us. So we can just <laughs> sit back and enjoy the fruits of your labor. <laughs> And I'm happy to do that. <laughs> I tell all my introvert friends, just find yourself a really good extrovert and you're going to be okay. <laughs> That's exactly so. right. We'll go, we'll lead, we'll lead the way and you can just come along and enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the best part. So thank you for sharing that. I am excited to hear you share with us what is emotional intelligence and how do we increase our emotional IQ? First of all, thank you for allowing me a platform to talk about this because I'm so passionate about it. And my kids are, they've heard me ad nauseum. They're like, do we have to hear this anymore? Yes, you do. And so I'm so excited to share with you. So there are lots of resources out there, but the one that I love the most is actually called emotional intelligence. And emotional intelligence actually determines your success way more than your IQ which is why we call it EQ, which is your emotional quotient, but that sounds like a dumb word. So we just call it emotional intelligence <laughs> and it works. What that means is that I can read a million books, but if I don't know what I'm feeling and I don't know how to manage those feelings and I don't know how to read other people's emotions and manage those interactions, then I'm just book smart. And it creates a difficult 
situation for you to become successful in life if you can't manage and control your own emotions and then manage your relationships um, and be able to pick up on other people's emotions and recognize what they're feeling and not take anything personal and all of those kinds of things. So that's the basic gist of emotional intelligence is your ability to recognize what you're feeling, your ability to manage those feelings, which is always, um, you know, it always sounds so simple until it isn't. And then recognizing other people's feelings and thoughts and being able to manage those relationships. And that happens a lot in the walls of my own home. I am married to my husband. I've been married to him for 32 years. He's my best friend, but nobody can trigger me quite like my husband. And so it's still, I'm still in a learning and approving ground in being able to recognize my emotions. Um, I think in any battle, whether that's emotional or physical, you have to recognize that there is a need to understand your emotions, right? Pardon me. Um, if you don't know what you're feeling, it's really hard to manage. It. And so the first thing that I teach people is how to recognize what they're feeling. And I do that through a lot of conversation and talking, and I'm listening for keywords, things that they're saying that tell me how they're feeling so that I can help them put words to their emotions. An emotion literally is just energy in motion. So it's a thought that we have given motion to that we have moved through our psych, our subconscious into our psychic normal brain. What is that brain called? Your conscious everyday brain. Thank you. Your frontal cortex, your conscious brain. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> so it's, it's moved through the subconscious and now becomes a conscious part of our lives and it can affect you. And what you're feeling absolutely can affect your physical health. It affects your mental health. It affects your relationships. And if you don't even know there's an issue, what's going to happen is that you're going to walk around being triggered all the time by other people, by circumstances. Um, and if you don't understand it, you tend to stay stuck. And quite frankly, I'm on this planet to move forward and to grow and to progress. The other thing that I make sure that people understand is that growth sometimes can be painful. And I'm sure many of you have heard the statement that a butterfly literally liquefies inside of its cocoon before it turns into a butterfly. The caterpillar just turns into goo. And so if you feel like you're in goo right now, don't worry. It just means that you're getting ready to emerge into something big. And that will happen anytime we begin to move into change. And there's some mental things that go along with that. The brain is very, very careful at protecting us from ourselves <laughs> and it can be used as a powerful tool but it can also be a very powerful weapon to keep us stuck if we're not willing to be okay turning into goo that's a gross analogy that's <laughs> the only one I could think of on the top of my head so once I help somebody to recognize their emotions I help them get to the root where is this coming from so let's say for example this is a common issue in, I think, probably a lot of marriages, but especially my marriage. I married a man who's from Texas. He's wonderful. He's provided for our family. He's a great guy. And he was raised with very specific gender roles, right? Very specific things that he thinks I should be doing that are part of my job and things that he should be doing that are part of his job. And we differ in our opinions on that sometimes. And so I will find myself being triggered, for example, if I have willingly served him dinner 
after a long, hard day, we live on a ranch. He works hard. He comes in, he sits down on the couch and I've served him dinner. And then I'll get up and pick up the plate and put it in the sink. And I find myself being agitated. Well, if I don't know where that's coming from, all that happens is my husband just gets it with both barrels and has no idea, no idea what has happened. <laughs> and he's taken completely aback because he's like, wait, you served me. I grew up in a home where my mother served all the time, but so did my dad. And so there's a difference of opinion. So for me to recognize that this is my story, okay, I willingly served him at the couch. I willingly picked up his bowl. And so I have to look at it. What is the root of that? The root of that is that I have to play a victim, that I have to be a victim in this story in order to get attention. If I don't understand that, then it's his fault. And the real truth is we can't change anybody else's thoughts or feelings. We can't. The only ones we can change and work on our own. So could I be frustrated and mad? I have on occasion, probably more than I like to admit. Um, and I've lashed out. But when it comes down to it, the real truth is that I made that choice. And why did I make that choice? And if it really is going to irritate me, can I change that behavior? Can I be clear in my communication and manage that relationship with my husband and say, I cooked dinner. I would really appreciate it if you would rinse the dishes and put them in the dishwasher. For those of you listening, you may think that that's a silly thing to have to be so specific, but you do have to. You have to learn to communicate what you're feeling or the people around you are in the dark and you're frustrated and you don't move forward. And ask for what you want. So exactly. And you have to ask for what you want. But if you don't know what you want, it's hard to ask for it. And if you don't know what you're feeling, it's hard to, to motate through that story. And I don't have to be a victim. And if I choose to serve my husband, I can do that with joy. And I can do that with gratitude for the fact that he works long hours in the hundred degree heat in Texas, you know, birthing calves and cutting grass. And is it that much of a sacrifice for me? No, it's not. But if it's important to you, and I think you talk about this a lot, Christy, is core values. If your core value is service, then you can't do it begrudgingly because then it, it's very mixed communication. So we determine what we're feeling, right? I have a list of feeling words that is a million miles long. And I help people to find the ones that, that sink in, that, that prick their heart a little bit. Sometimes people will read a word out loud and it will cause tears to come to their eyes. Usually an indication to me that there's something that's attached to that feeling or that emotion. I help them get to the root of that issue. And then the best part comes is when we can release that stuff that has held us back, the stories that we have held in our brain. Do I think my mother was a victim? No. My mom was an amazing woman who chose to serve and she was fantastic. But my child life perceived her to be a victim and perceived her to be a servant ad nauseum. And she never took care of herself but it was part of her core value and it brought her joy. And so knowing that I can now look at my story differently. I can say, my mom was not a victim. I do not have to be a victim. And I can release that story because it isn't serving me. And when it's not serving you, it, you shouldn't own it. You should only own the stories that actually serve you and bring you to a positive place of joy and a place of movement and a place of energy and the place of excitement. And if it isn't doing that, you need to look at it. And sometimes it's uncomfortable, but that's okay. 
because that's where we grow. So then we release those roots. Here's something else that happens in the brain. I have this story, this tape that's playing in my brain over and over and over. And all of a sudden I release this tape. I've yanked it out. And now my brain begins to panic. My brain says, oh, no, no, no. That, that was something that needed to be there. That program has to be there. And I don't know any of you who are computer people, if you get on the computer and there's a program missing that you have relied on heavily, you do go into panic and you start to just search frantically for that. Well, that's what will happen in your brain when you pull something out by the roots and discard it. You have to replace something in that spot. You cannot just pull things out and throw them away because your brain will go into panic mode and look for other things to affirm that story because it is missing that link, right? It's missing that program. So I take people after they've released all of those things, I have them go through a visualization process of receiving gifts from those things, receiving gifts from that trial. And I'll tell you about a specific one that I did. Um, and this was probably one of the first processes that I did. And it was the feeling of being abandoned when I was raising these three babies and I was abandoned by my husband. My in-laws lived close, but there was a lot of stuff going on in everybody's life at the same time. And I was the most healthy of the unhealthy. <laughs> so I got kind of pushed to the back burner and I felt very abandoned and I felt very unseen and unheard, figured out all those things. And then I went through the process of releasing them and letting them go. Excuse me, just one second. Christy, take over. Yeah, I, I really appreciate the service aspect of what you're talking about because so many women have that, that undercurrent of resentment. I've learned is you have to know what you want and right. you have to ask for it. So I, I what you want. Yeah, and the bringing you brought in the service aspect of this and being in service and you know, most of us in this energy field are healers or transformational geeks, you know, we geek out on this stuff and, but the undercurrent is common denominator of, of giving. We want to give, we want to help, we want to be in service. Yet in relationships, we often have resentment along with it. So I love how you address that. And I'm going to let you take over now back to what you were talking about. So thank you. I've, I've had this cough that I've been fighting for so long and I didn't want to cough in those ears. So I muted myself. So we're talking about receiving the gifts. So after I went through this process of releasing that abandonment and resentment and pain and guilt at not being good enough at being a mom, I mean, it's a soup, right? There's a lot of emotion that can come into something like that. And did I want to be a mom? Yes. It was something that I had dreamt of my whole life. It's all I ever wanted to be. And then I felt so guilty that I was miserable in my mom role. I felt so overwhelmed and I didn't know how to ask for help because I didn't know who to go to. So once I've released all of this, I'm like, okay, so now I'm not holding on to that resentment and my brain begins to panic. So then I received gifts. And the thing that I received is that I am capable of doing hard things. And at the end of the day, those three babies were fed, they were clothed, they were loved. And yes, for a lot of years, you had to literally walk through landmines of diapers in my house and bottles 
and every once in a while very random things that had disappeared behind the couch like sippy cups full of milk it was part of my story and once i had released that and then received the gift of the fact that i was highly capable of handling this even if it looked like a mess i stopped resenting everybody for leaving me alone and i started feeling powerful and i started feeling capable and i started taking some initiative for myself to say oh i have to set a boundary and what that means is that when i have to go to the pharmacy to pick up prescriptions and go to the grocery store i don't need to take all of my children to those places and then the park to be a good mom i can call somebody to come and sit with my babies while i run those errands and do those things and you know what if my babies cry for the whole hour that i'm gone it puts stress on one person for one hour and it saves me for the next two weeks. And so I learned to set those boundaries and it was so empowering to me because then I could be the mom I wanted to be. Then I could recognize the joy in raising these three little tiny humans. And they relied on me a lot. And yes, there were still times it was overwhelming, but behind all of that, I was able to embrace the joy and recognize that I was capable. And so that's literally what I do is I take people through that process and sometimes I will muscle test to find out an age if I don't know where the root is coming from. I'll muscle test to find an age and sometimes that age is like three, two, and who knows? I don't remember much from when I was three, but I can circumstantially know that at three years old, my sister who was 18 had gotten pregnant and there was a lot of stress in my house and my older brother had just gone off to college and my other brother had run over a pump house because he was drinking in college and gotten in trouble. So I understand circumstantially what that might look like in my home and what that might have done to my mother, in which case then I could understand maybe some of the feelings that were coming from that. Does that make sense? So we can use our conscious mind to process through some of that stuff. Um, but ultimately it, it is the tape that runs in the subconscious that rules your life. And whatever you choose to pay attention to, whether it be positive or negative, that is what's going to show up in your life. And so if you're continuing to find that there's negativity being thrown at you, or you're ending up in really negative, abusive relationships, or you're ending up attracting negativity, it most likely is because your subconscious tape is sending that out. It's sending out into the universe that that's exactly what you're looking for. Now your conscious mind is like, no way, that's crazy. Why would I do that? It's making me miserable. But there's a story and your brain is looking for proof that what you think is true. That's what our brain is genius at, is trying to make sure that we're always telling the truth. So if you're saying negative, awful, horrible things to yourself and you're not attracting the people that you want, it's because the people that you are attracting are the people who are thinking like you're thinking. And that's a little overwhelming. So if you don't like your circumstances, you don't like your surroundings, you don't like your friends, the real truth is that you can't change any of that until you look at your story, until you look at your programming and get rid of the malware, get rid of the garbage, get rid of the viruses that exist in there and replace them with healthy programs, replace them with stories that feel right and in alignment with who you truly are. You know, one thing that stood out that you said was how much you wanted to be a mom. 
And then all this life happens at the same time. And I've had so many clients who were moms, young moms, say to me, I dreamed of being a mom my whole life. And this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> and, and so I laughed when you said that. I'm like, I probably think every mom out there would resonate with that. You know, we well, think it's going to be this oh, we get to love these humans and raise them. And then they have their own mind and their own personality and they're the opposite. <laughs> they're going to challenge everything you do. <laughs> they challenge it with fervor, they do. And the <laughs> other piece of that is that we live in a society now where there is so much social media perfection. And by that, I mean, you have moms who are raising three and four little kids. And on one good day, they're able to get everybody dressed and in their clothes and nobody's pooped on them and nobody's puked on them and they look amazing and they're able to clean off one section of their house behind the camera. And so you see that and you think, oh my gosh, being a mom is going to be the greatest thing. That's because they're not projecting 99% of what they're doing the rest of the time and they're not turning their camera around to show you what it looks like behind the scenes. And I think there's danger in that. There's danger in us assuming that we have to strive for, for perfection all the time. Yeah. And I, it was hard for me. I grew up with a mom who was very much a perfectionist. She was raised in Holland and they scrubbed their sidewalks every day. You know, I mean, they keep their house clean and they had white curtains. And my mom, bless her heart, ended up living at the end of a dirt road out in the country, milking cows. And that was not the planet my mom thought she was going to land on. And so she worked her fingers to the bone until she died at 87. She, <laughs> a week before she had her stroke, she was at her home on her hands and knees in a yard with four huge oak trees, hand picking acorns out of the grass to make sure that the grass was green, right? So I grew up in that perfectionist world. So when I became a mom, I thought that's what I was supposed to do which is that undercurrent, right? That story, that tape that plays in there. I picked that up subconsciously from watching my mom. It wasn't what she said with her lips. I just saw it. And we can't really escape that unintentional learning. It just is part of us. And so if you are not getting what you want out of life and there, then there's something in your way and you need to look at it because we're, we're meant to experience joy. We're meant to move through the hard stuff and use the difficult circumstances and use the trauma. And this is what I meant when I said earlier that there is good that can come from trauma and that, that good can propel you to, for example, I am now leading retreats for women to transform their lives because I believe that when you can transform a woman's life, she will shape everyone's life around her differently. And that's why I'm doing this. But had I not experienced that trauma as a child, had I not experienced those things, I wouldn't have come down this path. It would have been easier to do something else because this has required a lot of self-work. But I'm grateful. I know that sounds crazy for those of you who may still be in traumatic situations. And please hear me. If you are in a traumatic situation, please find a way to get because you can't heal as long as you're in the middle of it. But if you have experienced trauma, you can use it for your good. And it takes time and it takes patience and it takes work, but you are meant for more. And that's my message to everyone that I talk to is you are meant for more. You're meant for joy. You're meant for growth. 
you're meant to experience energy and happiness and good connections. And if, if that speaks to you and you don't know where to get started, I would love to have you join me in this quest to just become more. You don't have to be perfect, just become more of what you were intended to be. Yeah, I think that they need to have people like you in schools <laughs> teaching. We need to teach these skills from the foundation, you know, and like you said, give the skill to the mother because she'll then incorporate it into every aspect of everyone's life. Um, but to catch up on that, we need to educate these, these children and these young folks with this stuff. I definitely did not have this growing up and it's something that you know, has learned something that I've had to very intentionally focus on and learn with great, great desire to change. <clears throat> and I love what you said about if, so my friend says a similar thing and it resonates in my head the way she says it, find the lesson and the blessings arrive. And that's what you're talking about, about what, how is this, what are you learning from this? What are you getting out of this? What's the positivity in this? And when you can find that, then the blessings arrive. They always do. They always arrive. And I always tell people, you know, you, if you're a praying and faith believing person and you're praying for something and it's not happening, it, just be patient because it will show up. You know, I used to pray for patience when I had my first child. And then 18 months later, I got twins and I thought, wait, 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 I don't, I didn't want patience this way. I was hoping to develop patience another way. And it wasn't so painful, but I believe that I, that, that the universe knew exactly what I needed to develop into the person that I am today. And that's why I experienced what I experienced. And so can I look at it as a blessing? Absolutely. Cause it's all, there always is a blessing with every, everything that you go through. When I was younger, probably junior high, maybe even younger than that, I had an aunt and she always said, never pray for patience. <laughs> and I never did. I was always like, I don't need any patience. Please don't give me patience. <laughs> I don't Where was she? <laughs> <laughs> she knew what was up. <laughs> what was up? I, I did pray for patience and I did get it in, in a very, very difficult way, but I did get it. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So you want to give us some tips on, uh, you started this, introduced this topic through relationship, through your marriage and every yeah. single person listening to this, if they're married or have a significant, significant other can probably attest to the fact that they're the ones who can push all of our buttons the most. Mm. <laughs> so there's so much that happens in a relation, like you're, you know, especially when you're an intuitive, you're picking up on everyone else's emotions you're processing your own emotions. You're trying to manage everyone's emotions, including your emotions. So there's all this stimulus all the time on an emotional level within a family and a relationship. What do you have in your wisdom for us in regards to that? Oh, wow. Um, you know, sometimes as a woman, uh, this is a cyclical thing. And I will find that there are times of the month when I am just so capable so capable of really digging deep and looking at the story and not taking anything personally and not feeling like my husband's out to get me um, and not feeling offended by everything. And then there's other times when it requires a lot of emotional intelligence for me to step back and ask myself, is what I'm thinking a true thought? Is what I'm feeling 
accurate. And if it's accurate, can I take 10 seconds, 100 seconds, couple hours, however long it takes for you to get centered before I have this conversation with my husband? I'm an emotional person. And anytime I talk about something that's really near and dear to my heart or something that has triggered me, the tears will start. My husband does not know what to do with those. And that's not his problem. <laughs> he tries to be sensitive. He just doesn't know. He's like, I, I, it's so it's emotional overwhelm for him when I begin to cry because he doesn't know how to fix it because you can't fix it. And so if I can come to him and say, I do not want you to fix this. I need you to listen. Again, it comes back to asking for what you want in a non-emotional, unattached statement. And, and this is coming, of course, from a woman's perspective. And as my husband, sometimes he will come to me and I will do, this is naughty, don't do what I'm telling you to do. Um, when he comes to me and starts to say something and I'm feeling a little edgy about the whole thing, I will fire back at him and try to fix it. And then when he says, don't, I don't, I don't need you to fix this. I'll say, I understand that you don't want me to fix it. How does that feel? It's not very nice to do, that but is, it is an is aha moment. It is a moment. Yeah. It's an aha moment for him to say, oh, that doesn't feel very good because I don't need her to fix this. I just need to vent. So we have learned in our 32 years of marriage, when we're coming in and we're frustrated to say, this is not about you. I just need to get this off my chest. I'm having a really crappy day. And I don't understand what's going on and I'm feeling overwhelmed and I don't know what I'm feeling, but just listen, I can do that. And then learning to mirror back to another person is one of the greatest things you can do to get clarity. Because oftentimes when someone is speaking to you, you are listening to fire back or you're listening to give them your perspective. And if you are listening and Stephen Covey said this really well, he said, seek first to understand then to be understood. And it's one of the greatest pieces of advice. I had the opportunity to work for the Covey Leadership Center before it merged with Franklin. And it was so powerful for me to be able to step back and ask clarifying questions and restate what someone has said to you so that they can hear it. Because oftentimes what comes out of my mouth is not really what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. It's just the verbal vomit for lack of a better phrase. And so if my husband says to me, do you really feel that way? Mm, no, no, I really don't. Let me retract that statement and start over. Or do you really want to fight about this? Mm, no, I know I don't. Now, if it's super important and there is a discussion that needs to be had because communication is important. We don't just stuff everything inside. We have to communicate what we're feeling. But the pause, there is power in the pause. And when something happens and you feel yourself triggered, if you don't know what a trigger feels like, um, sometimes I refer to that as an amygdala hijack. Your amygdala is a little almond shaped part of your brain back here. And we refer to that as our lizard brain. And it's what takes over when we feel threatened. And it's what causes us to just vomit yucky things all over the people we love and say mean and awful things or scream and shout at someone on the freeway. And it's not your conscious mind and it's not your intelligent mind. And it's certainly not your emotionally intelligent mind that's taken over. It's your lizard brain. It's your survival brain. So if you can pause when you feel that trigger, if you don't know what that feels like, sometimes it feels like a pit in your stomach 
or you'll feel a twinge in your heart and your, your physical body will respond with a trigger. You'll know, you'll start to pay attention. Sometimes the hair on the back of your neck will stand up or you'll feel the tears immediately pop through or you'll start to feel your tingling of your fingers and your feet because that's when we go into fight or flight. Our amygdala has taken over, so our digestion slows down. We have an increase of blood rush to our hands and our feet to protect us from the tiger that we're about to fight because your brain doesn't realize that it's actually not a tiger you're fighting and your brain is gonna protect you. So if you feel that happen, the best thing you can do is take a breath through your nose all the way down into your stomach and take at least three deep breaths and count inside to 10 because you need to signal to your brain, we're not being attacked by a tiger. It's okay. This is, I'm gonna survive this. I just need to look at this and give yourself a minute. And that breathing, slowing it down will shift that amygdala trigger to the conscious part of your brain where you can actually use your prefrontal cortex and have a conversation. Yeah, this has been really great. Um, you know, I think this is something that every person really needs and could probably benefit us every step of the way, you know, to take a refresher or to, you know, reach another level and then learn the next level of emotional intelligence. You know, what you can comprehend and understand where you are now. You learn and grow and then you're ready for the next level of comprehension of it. So I think this is probably something that people can continue learning all the time. Say, Chris, Christy, you made the greatest point right there. Is And I think you have touched on this a couple of times in your podcast before us, but we're never finished growing. We're never finished maturing. And so every time you peel back a layer and you think you've got it all together, something will trigger you to remind you that there's still a story that runs under there that doesn't belong. And I've been doing this for a long time. I started processing when my twins were babies. So 25 years ago, and I've been doing this for 25 years and I still have triggers and I still shout at my husband and I still throw things around occasionally. And so it doesn't mean that because we become emotionally intelligent that we're perfect at it. It means that we recognize there's an issue. And the other piece of that that's really, really important is when you have been triggered and you have said things that you have not meant and your amygdala has taken over, <laughs> you turn into a toddler. Once you come back to a level playing field in your brain, it is very critical for your brain's health and for your relationship health to be willing to apologize and to own it and say, I did not handle that very well. It doesn't mean you have to say you're a POS and you're, you didn't do anything right and you're a jerk and you know, you're never going to manage this relationship. All of that is just brain chatter. But the real truth is that you didn't handle that situation well. And explore it, write it down, journal, get outside and walk around, think about it, put, put in music to rewire because you have to rewire those thoughts. And once you do, something else will be out of place and it will pop back up and you'll just have to rewire that thought. And it's okay. I think if we get tired of it. We're, we'd like to just wake up one day and be perfect, but we won't be. It'll never happen. So get over your bad self and recognize that you are meant to grow and you can't grow if you're already perfect. So just enjoy the journey and be okay. Be okay being broken and be okay just growing and changing. Just accept yourself. You can have complete and total self-acceptance 
while simultaneously desiring to grow. And absolutely. So how can somebody reach you or work with you or find out more from you? What have you got going on? Easy easy enough. Um, If you're interested in my retreats, that is basically just my name, TeresaLinder.com. Um, this particular retreat, ha- retreat happens to be in Texas. So you would just do forward slash Texas. Um, and I, of course, will be adding more as I continue to build up my website. I'll be adding more of those links as I have them going. But um, if you want to just reach me personally, I just have my email, which is linderteresa6 at gmail.com. Awesome. And you can just reach out to me and I would love to chat. Yeah, we will put that, those links in the description and Awesome. give people easy access to you. I think you have great content and you're a joy to listen to your well, personality you. and your take on it makes it fun, <laughs> which is very helpful. Because well. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, you know, this stuff can be heavy and um, it can be a lot, but it can be fun too. And we might as well exactly. just ourselves and enjoy the moment. Even when, even during our imperfections, yeah. even in our triggers and our flaws. Yep joy joy in the journey and it it is a journey and it's it's a journey with no real destination which is the craziest thing you know we have all these journeys that we take in life and sometimes we have it mapped out we're going to Greece and it looks amazing and perfect we get on the plane and we're all excited to go to the Parthenon and we land and we're in Holland and we're like what the fetch this is not the life I planned this was not my (laughs) and then eventually you find that there's great things in Holland too and you can have joy there too and so even if your life doesn't look like you want it to look you can still find happiness. Yeah, I love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing. And I look forward to discovering more about your retreats and everything that you have to share. And appreciate you being on here with me. Thank you. This has been so much fun. Happy to do that. And uh, I look forward to visiting with you, with those of you who are interested in learning more. And I would love to do another podcast with you anytime. All right. And we'll see you on the next one.